from coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Hannah Cunningham, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news. This week, we asked what treaty means for our relationships to land, the more than human, and to each other. We were lucky enough to chat with Indigenous activist and educator Louis Cardinal, who spoke at the University of Alberta's International Week this past February. We'll listen to audio from Cardinal's talk and follow up with some questions of our own. But before we get into that, here are this week's headlines. So in our headlines section for April 23rd, we reported on a lawsuit launched by a coalition of hundreds of Indigenous Wurundjeri peoples, including elders, youth, and leaders, to prevent the government of Ecuador from auctioning off their ancestral lands to oil companies in the Pastaza region. Beyond being the homelands of the Wurundjeri people, the Amazonian forests have the greatest biodiversity in the world. Well, good news, the Wurundjeri have won the litigation. It's being lauded as a landmark lawsuit since it sets the precedent for the other communities in the Amazon within the borders of Ecuador who oppose oil extraction on their territories. It is also a success for the global fight for indigenous sovereignty. The outcomes of the ruling, which lasted about six hours, suspend the possibility of selling the Wurani community's land for oil exploration. Another great story broke recently. Britain set a record for itself by ditching coal-fueled power for four days. This is the longest the country has gone without using coal since the first coal-fueled power station was opened in 1882. A spokesperson for Great Britain's National Grid Electricity System was quoted saying that they estimate that by 2025, the nation's electricity system could be operated at net carbon emissions. The nation's Climate Change Committee has recommended that a legally binding duty to meet a 2050 target of net greenhouse gas emissions be set in place. While the phase-out of coal is an important step in the right direction, it is not enough to meet the UK's targets. There is still a huge gap to be overcome in order to reach the nation's Climate Change Committee's recommendations. A startling report was released on May 6 by the United Nations. The report echoes what many scientists have been saying about the dire situation faced by plant and animal species. Some have even suggested that we are currently undergoing a sixth mass extinction. The report was a collaborative effort by seven co-authors from universities around the world. Their work found that species extinction is accelerating rapidly and that one million plants and animals from around the world are on the verge of extinction. Climate change, habitat destruction, pesticides, and resource extraction are just some of the factors that the authors point to as drivers in the decline in global biodiversity. This is obviously bad news for those one million plants and animals, but the report also emphasizes how biodiversity loss is detrimental for human societies. The result of species extinction is ecosystem collapse. We rely on stable, functioning ecosystems for food security and clean water supplies, literally the foundations of human life. The authors recommend transformative change. So beyond considering your own environmental footprint, it is extremely important to pressure greater societal forces like governments and corporations to stop running like it's business as usual. 
In the wake of the recent provincial election, Alberta's new Environment and Parks Minister, Jason Nixon, has announced that the Bighorn Provincial Park proposal will not be going ahead as planned under the previous NDP government. The Bighorn Park proposal process was very controversial. Many First Nations and municipalities in consultation voiced concerns over oil and gas exploration, off-road vehicle use, and forestry activities. The outgoing Environment and Parks Minister, Shannon Phillips, was quoted voicing her disappointment at this decision, saying that many Albertans supported the protected area. The Bighorn area is a significant area for cities since it is the origin of much of Alberta's water supply. The UCP minister says they will be going back to the drawing board to the regional planning process with improved consultation. So that's it for this week's headlines. Now on to our piece for this week. At the end of every Terra Informa episode, when we thank our contributors, we also situate ourselves as being on and influenced by Treaty 6 and Peoples. You might know that there are 11 numbered treaties in Canada that were signed between Indigenous nations and the Crown. These nation-to-nation agreements are laden with historical intents and understandings that have implications for those of us living on treaty territories. In February of 2019, business owner and politician Louis Cardinal shared a presentation at the University of Alberta International Week speaker series. He clarified what treaty means and suggested how being treaty people might influence our relationship with Mother Earth. Charlotte Thomason and Amanda Rooney caught up with him after his presentation to ask him some questions and to chat. Our, our future can be in question, particularly when we're talking about the environment and the conditions that we're facing now. With the um, SDG 15, um, the intention is to conserve and restore the use of terrestrial ecosystems such as forests, wetlands, dry lands, and mountains by 2020. That's like next year. It's, uh, it's urgent action that we must be taking to reduce the loss of natural habitats and biodiversity. And it is important. Now, the talk of my, of my um, not the talk, I mean, the point of my talk is about, uh, is about treaty. And what does that mean? And I appreciate the treaty uh, recognition that, that was read at the beginning of this, of this gathering, because it's important for us as Canadians, as Albertans, as Edmontonians, to recognize that treaty plays something more than just an agreement between First Nations and, and Canada. It's something that has a long history that goes deep into the roots and the very fabric of what this country is about. And it is about relationship. Louis Cardinal, my my Cree name, uh, my spirit, my ceremonial name is Sipigogisik, and that means blue sky. And I come from the Sucker Creek Cree First Nation. Great name for a First Nation, lousy name for a casino. Sucker Creek. I'm trying. <laughs> try- <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody comes. So you recently gave a talk at International Week here at the University of Alberta. And uh, so you spoke to, they kind of had you speaking to the 15th Sustainable Development Goal, which is um, Life on Land, I believe. Yes. The important message of the 15th Sustainable Goal, uh, Life on Land, is relationship. It's all about relationships. And um, 
my the elders that I've worked with and my, my grandparents um, and their traditional wisdom had always talked about the importance of maintaining relationship. Now, not just relationship between human beings, but with the cosmos and, and, and Mother Earth and, your, you know, and the spirit world and yourself and that sort of thing. So um, life on land in that sustainable gold is about relationships. The word indigenous, um, while it means springs from the land, that's, that's the denotation, the connotation is in relationship to because indig- indigenous something that grows from the land is in relationship to to the land itself and to everything that's around it so it needs that relationship in order to to function properly mm-hmm. so we as human beings we have to realize that our relationship to land is critical what we do and everything that we do has um, a, a direct effect on how our environment responds, and we're seeing that now. As we're all here, like as people living on the numbered treaties, yes. um, and you kind of spoke to what that means for relationships. So. Maybe I'll just start off by asking, can you maybe explain for listeners kind of what what treaty means to you? And Well, treaty is, again, when I was talking about relationships, treaty is a, um, it's a covenant by which we live uh, in trust relationship with those people that are around us, but also those things that are around us. Uh, treaty is far more than a legal um, agreement. It's not just saying, well, this is where you guys are going to live now, and this is what you know, this is what we get, and this is what you get, sort of thing. The interesting thing about treaties, from a Western perspective, a liberal Western perspective, is that treaties, within the old treaties made in Europe, were always at the end of war, at the end of prolonged, you know, struggle. Then finally, they they decide, you know, how they're going to have a treaty. The victor usually dictates the terms. Uh, but treaty within North American indigenous people was something totally different. While it did set a, uh, a, a legal uh, relationship between nation to nation, it also set something a lot more deeper, and that is relationship. So it becomes, treaty becomes more than uh, a legal arrangement. It becomes a covenant. It becomes sacred. But also, by looking at treaties, we see it as an adoption ceremony. It's how we are making relations with the newcomer. So, in fact, a lot of these treaties and the tradition of treaties going way back, it was about adopting people. You actually became relatives, relations, relatives. And the golden rule behind that is that you do not make war on, on relatives. Because the, the early relationships amongst uh, indigenous people and, uh, and, and Europeans was that of trade. The Mi'kmaq have a word, which I, I don't remember offhand, but the word for peace and trade is the same word, right? So, so treaty then becomes that relational context, but also uh, it does have a tie-in to our relationship to Mother Earth. Why? Within the treaties, we also have expressed, and this has been upheld in, in Supreme Court decisions, uh, the right to a livelihood and the protection of our traditional territories. 
and that has been a legal debate for for some times, right? So now, when you see the um, uh, the issues that we're dealing with, uh, developmental development issues, resource natural extraction issues, it's the traditional indigenous people that are standing up and saying no, not not because they want to be nasty, and not because they want to use that as a wedge to get leverage to get more of the deal or more of the pie or whatever you want to call it. It's because traditional indigenous people here understand and have a deep relationship with the land. That is the basis of our culture and traditions. When you are really following the foundations of your culture, practicing the ceremonies, you do get into relationship with the land, and the land actually speaks to you. The elements speak to you as well. Uh, That's how deep the relationship goes. And we, as human beings, be it Cree, Blackfoot, or Ojibwa, or whatever it is, from where we come, we have a deep sacred obligation to the land, to the animals, to, to the plants, to everything, that we need to speak for them because they cannot speak for themselves. So we have that responsibility, and it's very deep. Mm-hmm. And then I guess as well, like for people who are like not indigenous to this land, so like settler people um, coming in and living on a place where there is treaty, um, I guess like how, how can they respect that? that treaty that is so um, affects everybody and is yeah. so long-standing. Well, the, <clears throat> the treaty, again, is an opportunity for us to develop relationships with each other. It's not meant to isolate us. It's not like, hey, we made treaty, I'm going to go live over there now. In fact, when we took treaty, and these are, these are, this is oral history that comes down from my great-great-grandfathers who made treaty, the treaty, the reserve system wasn't meant for us to live on. They were reserved lands for Indians, and that's how the Indian Act defines it, reserved lands for Indians. It's not it's not homelands. It was meant for us as a land base for us to return to should we need medicines, should we need a, to a place to kind of recharge and do ceremony and bury our people, that sort of thing, right? It was never meant for us to, to live on. We, when we made the treaties, it was meant for us to go out into the world to live, right, and to pursue our purpose in life and then being able to have a home base to return to. And that's what, that's what that was about, hmm. right? So for the farmers... In response to those to those treaties, they they need they need to take the time to develop relationships with indigenous people to understand them and to understand that they do have an obligation in the treaty relationship, uh, n- not financially, nothing nothing like that, but really to take that time to understand what what it is, and what that relationship should look look like for them. When we're looking really into the face of climate change, uh, what do you think it means for all of us to be treaty people? Well, I think treaty people have to understand that that relationship context is very important. I think we need to, as as and I'm including myself in this as well, because sometimes my mind gets clouded with uh, you know the value system of the Western society, you know consumerism. All I think we get affected by it. Affluenza, I think it's called. <laughs> we get affected by it, and so you know we tend to take too much. We tend to become destructive. Uh, ceremonies were created for us to get back into balance with uh, with the things around us, the relationships that are not 
not working properly. So ceremonies have been created for us to return to that sort of thing. I think when you really do a deep dive into the tradition of treaty and treaties and treaty making amongst nations and amongst individuals, because treaties aren't just a collective agreement. It isn't just the Cree or the leadership of the Cree people with you know the leadership of Canada. It's actually a personal obligation a personal commitment. So if we do a deep dive into treaty and that whole tradition of understanding it from the indigenous perspective, you, you start to realize that your personal relationship with your environment is important as well. All right, so you, every step you take can have a consequence for someone else. So that means that we should think a little bit more. Right. Um, and so it, it always smacks up against the whole economic arguments. Well, we need jobs. We need this and we need that. Right. And of course, the co- counter arguments are plenty. But the, the core of those is how do we how do we have relationship with uh, the land and with with each other? That is about sharing. That is about balance and harmony. That's the deeper dive of treaty. Uh, it isn't so much, well, I want this and I want that and keep off of our land. Because really, we are not, the Cree people are not the owners of the land that they're on. We're stewards. So we have a sacred responsibility for it. I think if we transfer that idea of stewardship to other people in our society, then the mental furniture gets kind of moved around and reorganized so that we can then start to, to rethink our relationship with the land and the environment. Yeah, so I guess when we're talking about moving the mental furniture around, uh, how do you think we can approach the task of like trying to inspire kind of a mass individual change? I think what we have to do is also redefine some terms, right? Um, and what I do, and, ta- and I'm going to speak about Edmonton, the Edmonton area, and also our great nation. Um, what I was saying at that, at, that, uh, at that gathering is that we have to re-see uh, or revision what Canada is, all right? That's the first step that we have to do. Canada comes from the Cree word or Algonquian word, kanatan. Um, it means uh, a clean, pure, sacred place. Those three words are interchangeable, clean, pure, sacred. Kanatan denotes a location. The end part added to that word denotes a location. This place, kanatan, is clean, pure, and sacred. That was the first word given to uh, Cartier, Champlain, and Hudson when they came up and, you know, uh, discovering us. Um, But when you shorten the word from Kanatan to Kanata, where the the name Canada comes from, Kanata becomes a verb. It means to make pure, clean, or sacred. Right? So the philosophy that goes along with that is how, how, do we, how do we achieve that cleanliness, that sacredness, and that purity? You do that by maintaining your relationships. Your relationships need to be in order. And first of all, it starts with yourself. It's what relationship do you have with those four elements of who you are, your mind, your body, your spirit, your emotions. Are those in balance? You, you can't overfeed the brain, and you shouldn't overfeed the body because it throws you out of whack. You need to seek that balance. And in fact, the Cree word for ourselves is not, is not Cree. The name that we give ourselves is, is Nehi Aliak, or Nehi El. 
that comes from the root word for, niwu in Cree. And the philosophy behind that is that we are being of four parts, the mind, the body, spirit, the emotions. In order to become a human being, those four elements need to be in balance. So when we're talking about Canada, you first start with yourself. Are you in balance? How are your relationships with your relatives, your community, you know, your nation? What, you know, how are you maintaining order and balance with those, that, the ones that you love? So those relationships need to be in order. And how are, are you honoring your, your ancestors? How are you honoring the cosmos? What are your connections there? So it becomes that personal journey, right? So then when we expand it to cultural relationships with other nations, we have to ensure that our relationships are in order and at peace with other people as well. So Canada then becomes more than a noun. It's actually a verb. It means to make. And within that, it, it begs the question. What are you doing to maintain your relationships and keeping things in order? That's what Canada means, and that's what it should mean. If we understand that as Canadians, there goes the couch across the room into a different position, right? And, and so we start rearranging our, our, our mental furniture in terms of how we have relationships with what's around us. We have to share stories as individuals and as nations or as groups of people, right? Because when you share a story with me about your life, about something that you've gone through, and I start to see myself in your story, that's that first thread of relationship, right? And then you pull on that thread, and then pretty soon, you get, you know, pretty soon you're building a bridge, you know, and a relationship that's a lot more deeper than just a superficial introduction. A part of our treaty relationship to each other is to be vigilant, to look out for each other's back. We are now entering into a time where uh, two great things are besieging us. One is um, the environmental catastrophe that's about to unfold, uh, and we need to unite together as our combined treaty obligation to Mother Earth to, to look after her. You know, and, and and stop this craziness. We have the technology. We have uh, the the know-how how to, how to change our energy production system to something else. That's the only answer that we really have. Um, the second thing that we're facing is the rise of extreme racism. Its its ugly head is not only poking itself out; the body's halfway out of the grave again. So. We have to stand together. When we see racism perpetrated on any one of our treaty relatives, we have to stand together and with a common voice say, this shall not stand. And that's what we have to do. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, two of the greatest things that we're facing right now. Thanks yeah. for both of those like good like calls to action. For yeah. yeah, and growing like so much more important as like the political climate in Canada is changing and... Yeah. political climate of the world is changing to just kind of yeah make sure we are staying vigilant and well, people are for afraid each other. that's why we're facing this extremism uh, yeah. particularly in, in race relations right uh, is people are afraid they're economically afraid there's a lot of things going on there's afraid of losing power there's there's status angst mm -hmm. you know that exists within the, the mainstream. Our population demographics are shifting. I think by 2032, the majority of people in Canada will not be uh, Caucasian, mm -hmm. you know? And there's a fear of losing, losing power and, and that sort of thing. So when you're hit with an economic uncertainty, 
then the the, the racial cards start to be played as 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 ways of uh, expressing that. So it's scary. Yeah. yeah. On another note, um, well, actually, if there's anything else that you want to add onto that topic, I think that's good enough. It's pretty yeah. depressing. Yeah. So, so on another <laughs> note, though, we, wanted, we had a request uh, from one of our other co-volunteers to ask what your favorite animal or plant is that is in the region. Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalo is uh, is my totem. Is my 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 spirit animal that oh, walks okay. with me. Mm-hmm. And when I received my name, Blue Sky, uh, one of the elders at a ceremony following that said that the old buffalo walks with you. And uh, so that that's one of my favorite animals. And when I go to Elk Island Park, I just get, I just, something happens to me where I get very emotional when I'm close to those animals, right? Because they're just so powerful and, and they're giving, right? They give of themselves when asked and they, and they have sustained us for eons upon eons as indigenous people. A favorite plant, oh my gosh, would have to be sage. <laughs> yeah, because sage is also a delicacy for, a particular kind of sage is a delicacy for um, for buffalo as well, but also the medicinal value mm-hmm. of, um, of sage. It's great for, uh, you make it into a tea, it's great for a memory, you can call it a memory tea, uh, use it for smudging, you can use it for cooking, so it's really quite versatile. So that that would be my, no, no flowers. I mean, <laughs> I wish I could, but I couldn't make up my mind which one. Um, the Indian paintbrush, I guess, would be my favorite flower. <laughs> I think like, uh, yeah, like even just speaking back to what I said before, like, um, having all these like indigenous artists, uh, I think like yep. coming more into the mainstream oh, is yes. really really important to to um, like keeping in front of mind your yeah. your relations and sure because like these are the things that you're seeing every day and they're up more usually upbeat positive. You can tell when a nation is recovering itself by its artists because we're starting to see like in music we're seeing that that fusion coming out we're seeing the openness of our traditional music being played more openly uh we're seeing uh interesting art developments within the uh mixed uh, media fields um we're seeing literature starting to explode uh, out of nowhere uh so it's to me that is is a really great sign that we're coming back and we're not losing our indigeneity. Mm-hmm. We're just transforming it to meet the challenges of the day. As the great uh, um, uh, comparative uh, religious scholar, um, Joseph Campbell said, if, if a culture does not change its metaphors to meet the challenges of the day, the culture dies. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's why we've been resilient as Indigenous people, is because we've been meeting that challenge by having our, the the principles and the foundation and the core of our culture address these things through d- different interpretations, but still holding on to the very core uh, of who we are. So, and as one more one 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 uh, little um, acknowledgement is that my brother Lorne is having a theater named after him. Uh, I. I I sit on the board of the Roxy Theater, which is Theater Network mm-hmm. Society, and I was brought on to help them fundraise for um, for a theater that's going to be named the Lorne Cardinal Theater inside the new building that we're starting to build this June at the old 124th Street, oh, yes. 107th Avenue location, and there's going to be a rehearsal hall in there, and there's going to be a big theater named after Sandra Power, the Power Theater, and then there's a smaller theater named Lorne Cardinal Theater. 
That's awesome. It'll be the first theater named after an indigenous uh, uh, actor uh, and and performing artist in Alberta. That's great. That's wonderful. Congrats to him, and I can't wait to see it. I grew up around that area, so yeah. yeah, When the when those theater burned down, I was like, oh. I know. I know. It was sad. (laughs) Yeah, but this is something great that's coming out of it. It is absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. That was Charlotte Thomason and Amanda Rooney speaking with Louis Cardinal. So that's all the time we have for this week. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, located in Edmonton, Alberta, which is part of Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples who continue to live and gather here, and who continue to influence the stories we make and our understanding of the land around us. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet at Terra Informa. Thank you to all our volunteers that contributed to this week's episode, Charlotte Thomason, Amanda Rooney, Dylan Hall, and Elizabeth Dowdell. I've been your host, Hannah Cunningham. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll catch us next week right here on Terra Informa.